It's time to end Obamacare now. For the past eight years, we have been suffering under President Obama's ridiculous policies, the worst of which... Obamacare. And you know why it's bad. It raised premiums, it decreased patient choice, and it made people even more dependent on government. But when President-elect Trump takes office on January 20th, we can finally repeal Obamacare. But there are liberals in D.C. who are conspiring to save it. And the only way we can stop them is if we get grassroots activists like you to stand up to them and pledge to help President-elect Trump repeal Obamacare on day one. So stand with President-elect Trump and go to www.repealobamacarenow.com. Get involved. Help repeal Obamacare. If you don't act now, we won't be able to make a difference. If you want lower premiums, better health care, we need to repeal Obamacare on day one. And that's why you need to go to www.repealobamacarenow.com. It's time to take advantage of this historic opportunity and see how freedom works. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And good evening. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in tonight on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget that we love to know what you think about what we think. So please let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. T-minus three days and counting for me after tonight that I'm I'm gone. I mean, I'm I'm in a... I'm in a basement with the kids. I'm in a haze for the next two weeks of of holiday, hanging out, and gluttony. Uh, But uh, we will have uh, fill-in hosts, best ofs, etc. to get you through until we return the 1st of January. Don't forget this year, since the show is bigger than it's ever been, we're going to make the end-of-year edition of the program bigger than it's ever been. This year it's going to be a two-part episode to close us out on Thursday and Friday. Tonight we begin, though, with the news that Donald Trump made this morning announcing Rex Tellerson, the former uh, poobah, grand poobah of ExxonMobil, to be his secretary of state. And and with that nomination, I, I want us to take a big picture view because I don't think you can look at Rex, Rex Tellerson in a vacuum. I think you got to look at him now uh, in the context of what else is going to be surrounding him. Because all cabinet appointments carry with them a certain level of power and prestige. They all do. But there are four, I believe, and I said this at the beginning of the transition, there are four that I believe carry with them more of each of those things than the others. 
I think that's chief of staff. I think it's attorney general. I think it's defense, and I think it's state. Now, chief of staff is in there because they're the tip of the spear in setting the agenda and granting access to individuals to the White House, to the Oval Office. And that, that's a huge power in and of itself. Who gets FaceTime with the leader of the free world to make their case? The other three include what I believe are the most policymaking power combined with bully pulpits that exist in the executive branch other than the presidency itself. And that would be state defense and justice or attorney general. If you look at whom Trump has appointed in these four slots, there's clearly no ideological certainty whatsoever. If you look at Jeff Sessions and General Mattis, for the most part, I mean, everybody has strengths and weaknesses. But as, as, as the composite of their profiles, I think, would prove, they're pretty much what grassroots conservatives or those of you that consider yourselves drain the swamp populists they're, they're a lot, they embody a lot of what you were looking for in supporting Donald Trump. But if you look at Reince Priebus and Rex Tellerson, you have two men that represent to varying degrees the exact kind of Republican Party that Trump often mocked. He pilloried during his successful primary run. Two men who represent everything about the GOP that is loathed the most by Trump's most loyal supporters. I mean, if you look at Reince Priebus, it was he and his minions that gave us the, the silly 2012 autopsy after Romney's lost. Uh, they're the ones that uh, were responsible for the scam that was the Mississippi U.S. Senate race for Chris McDaniel in 2014. And then you look at Tillerson from ExxonMobil. Now, you can recall, we, we've previously had a Secretary of State not too long ago uh, whose associations, business associations, with shady foreign governments created some questions while she was there. So I, I thought we just wanted to get rid of this. Isn't this just what we said we wanted to get rid of? Well, Tillerson, Tillerson is cut from the same cloth. Two of his most ardent supporters are Dick Cheney and Condi Rice. And a lot of you that are listening to this, you cheered. When Trump trashed them during the primary uh, as neocons, failed neocons. In fact, Condi Rice is now a consultant for ExxonMobil. That's why she recommended uh, Mr. Tillerson for the job. It's one of her clients. They have billions of dollars in business ties and interest with Russia. One of the reasons why Tillerson was recently given a friendship medal by Putin, one of the world's most corrupt vile gangsters, dictators, who is beyond cozy, downright chummy with the crazy Ayatollahs in Iran. Now, if you ask me, this is the very perceived incestuousness among globalist corporatists, which Trump promised his supporters, many of you listening tonight, that he would end. This tangled web here is exactly what he said he was going to get rid of. Tillerson, in fact, is an appointment that should be cheered on by the Council on Foreign Relations, who many of you listening tonight share frequent conspiracy theories about on your social media accounts. They should be cheering Tillerson. He is right out of their playbook. Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council noted last night that while he was at ExxonMobil, Tillerson was a supporter of Planned Parenthood, as well as he helped lobby the Boy Scouts to accept homosexual scoutmasters. 
Tillerson's appointment is not peace through strength, as conservatives typically believe we need to approach foreign policy. Rather, his profile is peace through shared vested interests. And if that sounds familiar, it should, because that's the progressive playbook. That is Marie Harf, they need a jobs program. That's what it is. Well, where do you think these jobs come from? Business deals men like Tillerson cut with men like Vladimir Putin. This is the progressive playbook. That if we all are in business together, we won't fire missiles at each other. 1914 called, and it wants its foreign policy back. Didn't work then. Hasn't worked since. That was the M.O. of the Habsburg Empire at the turn of the 20th century. To essentially put the early notions of progressivism into motion by having a family of elites have their hands and tentacles in all the royal families of Europe. And since they were all intermarried, interrelated, they were all doing business with one another, guess what they would never do? Fire upon one another. How did that work out? In short, Tillerson could have been appointed Secretary of State in a Hillary Clinton administration with this profile. Now, personnel is policy, as Morton Blackwell at the Leadership Institute likes to say. And that is especially true when the guy who's ultimately calling the shots, in this case Donald Trump, is as ideologically malleable as he has proven to be. The reality is, we don't really yet know what these appointments may mean. We, we don't. We don't really know. Because we don't really know how Trump sees them. Is he setting up his version of a so-called team of rivals? We have these two dominant camps, right? You have the the more conservative grassroots-oriented, more um, not necessarily nationalistic, but focused on, on America's interests for first group versus the more progressive uh, corporatist GOP wing. These two groups are now in control of each of them, half of the most powerful entities in the federal government or in the executive branch. So is Trump setting them up to essentially compete with one another? And may the best and brightest win. Maybe he himself is undecided on what direction to go. So he's the classic businessman approach. We're going to just split the baby in half and try to make everybody happy. And Trump can do that because he knows he has no problems changing horses midstream. We saw this in the campaign. You're the campaign chairman one day, you're out the next. If you produce, you're in. If not, things are going well, you're out. Could also be that this is a sign that Trump still has many of the same liberal leanings he's long held prior to his run for the GOP nomination. And over the course of this campaign, there's a few arguments conservatives have won with him, like immigration. And so this is nothing more than a simple hodgepodge of, uh, you know, essentially a personification of his own hodgepodge worldview. We don't know. So just as we were once told we were going to have to pass Obamacare to see what was in it, we are now going to have to inaugurate Donald Trump to know what this all means. We don't know. Now, we do know this. There is little doubt, if we're going to be as objective as possible, there is little doubt Trump's cabinet, despite several troubling appointments, is better, in quotation marks, for conservatives than what we would have seen had Hillary won. And that is despite the fact that it's really not that much different from what we would have gotten had Jeb Bush been the nominee and won the presidency. But again... I'm making an observation, not a judgment. Many of you listening to this tonight, this is why you supported Trump. You said you did not want this. 
What remains to be seen, though, is whether better actually turns out to be good. Better than wretched isn't necessarily good, guys. Right? I mean, I suppose mold on a piece of on one piece of bread on your sandwich is better than ingesting full-born salmonella. Is either one of them good? We don't know if it will be good government or not. That will be up to Donald Trump to determine. You're listening to Steve Dace. Surrender isn't a strategy. This is Steve Dace. Two more things on the Tillerson nomination. I know I said last night we could be we could see something we haven't seen since 1989, which is a nominee not be confirmed. But looking at how the left decides they want to go after has decided at least initially they want to go after Tillerson not on his Russian ties but on climate change. I may have to just that argument. Remember I said last night, the reason his nomination could be in trouble is because it unites various factions against Trump that typically don't work together. But if the left's messaging is that Tillerson's bad because of global warming, scratch that. I mean, they will, they will do for Trump what they did to him on Election Day. They, they will create support for Tillerson with that argument. But I shouldn't be surprised they would go down this road because, as we tell you on the show frequently, no man can rise above his own worldview. They, they can't rise above their own pagan worldview. They can't help themselves. It's just it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bell, it's a whistle, Pavlov, and a dog. It, it, the equation just works out two plus two is four every time. There's plenty of legitimate reasons that they could work with concerned conservatives to oppose this nomination. But if they're leading with their chin on global warming, that alliance is never going to happen. One more thing I want to address, gentlemen, and then I'll let you come in and give us your take. Somebody said to, my, said to me on my Facebook wall today that, that one of the key common denominators with Trump's appointments is these are strong leaders. I don't know enough about who all these people are to, to validate that, but they all have very strong bio, bios to some degree. You're not looking for strong leaders. Putin is a strong leader. The Shycoms are strong leaders. The Ayatollahs are strong leaders. You're not looking for... Al Capone was a strong leader. You're not looking for strong leaders. You're looking for righteous leaders. Okay? And and running a business is not at all like running a government, guys. I don't know how many more times I have to say this. Let me say it once more. Governments can conscript you against your own will. A business cannot. Governments can order your death. A business cannot. Governments can coin their own money. A business cannot. Governments can declare war. A business cannot. But yeah, other than that, man, it's like totally the same. Okay. Now, are there some leadership traits that cross over? Sure. Now, in my line of work, just because somebody might have some great leader, some great traits about how their on-air persona plays when they do play-by-play of a football game, doesn't mean they can do a three-hour long-form sports talk show 
where they have to carry a conversation with themselves. And it works the other way, too. Just because you can carry a long-form talk show doesn't mean you're quick enough on your feet to sit there and you have all the, the, the names memorized and everything else to paint the canvas of a play-by-play. Some of the skills are the same, but the, the activities and the visions that have to be carried out are not. In our form of government, the entity of government itself only exists for the protection and preservation of our God-given rights. That's it. A business only exists simply to make a profit and or pay a dividend to its shareholders if they have any. That's it. That's the only thing it exists for. So, therefore, businesses revolve merely around self-interests. That's it. Even when they're, quote, good, good corporate citizens, if they don't make that profit, guess what they don't get to be? Good corporate citizens. All right? It's not the same. Governments, when they're not corrupt, are supposed to work around what's best for the people's interests. So right away, one of them is more supposed to be more altruistic and another one is supposed to be more vested. Therefore, there has to be a degree of altruism in how government works when it actually works the way it is supposed to. That's why we call them, quote, public servants, not chief executive officers. It's why it's called a cabinet, not a board of directors. Some of you seemingly want your own king. This is the first appointment that makes me think Trump might have some sort of grand offensive vision. Everything else uh, seemed like... Yeah, this guy sounds good here. This guy sounds good here. Let them do their job. I'll get involved if I have to. This one, though, seems more like young Donald Trump given that first million from dad. And if memory serves, Steve, wasn't his father, he was a, he, he was a successful real estate agent, but it was, wasn't it in Brooklyn or something like that? Yes, and he moved, and and he moved the business so, to Manhattan so to Donald play the, Trump, the high stakes game. So yes. he could have stayed and just continued what his dad did and been successful. But he wanted to go big. And it seems like Donald Trump on the world stage is going to go big. And where we think of Secretary of State traditionally in terms of a game of risk, this is gonna, seems like some sort of hybrid of risk and monopoly, where Donald Trump is going to turn the entire globe into a version of what Manhattan looked like to him when he got that first million. All right, let's play your game. To what end? What is the end game? I don't know. Now, because there's a theory out there posited by an article I read earlier today at The Blaze that has that plays your game, Todd. I don't know if you saw this article or no, not. I did not. But it, it lays everything out that you just said and said there is another common denominator if you look at all of these various people. And this is where even the notion of how does a Jeff Sessions, you know, how does he work in the same cabinet with a Tillerson, right? And the one common denominator of this article at The Blaze is a single-syllable word. You know what it is? Oil. That the one area where a Jeff Sessions nationalist strong-arm on, on illegal immigration and a corporatist globalist like Tillerson, the one where's one area where these various entities would have a common vested interest, where their interest would converge, would, on, would be on American access to what? Oil, the most valuable. This, which is the most valuable resource. commodity resource other than the human resource right. uh, on this planet. Okay? Now, I would be fascinated. I'd have to sit back and think about morally what I think about that. Purely from a stratagem perspective, 
I'm fascinated if that is the end game because it would it would it would frankly be ascribing a level of sophistication to Trump's strategic thinking that he has not really exhibited as a candidate, which is why this thing has looked so hodgepodge and we're bringing this person here, firing this person there. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I've got Katrina Pearson of all people out there in this incestuous harem of, you know, ridiculous, you know, spokespeople. You know what I'm trying to say? That 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 it would require us at some point some switch came on because we've not seen a level of sophistication from him as a candidate to articulate what you are saying is was the was the game all along. And I think what you're saying and what you're um, um, talking about from this article from The Blaze, I think that uh, that does make sense. It would fit, fit with his uh, EPA chief. It would fit with Rick Perry being appointed uh, chair, I think, of, of the uh, Department of Energy or, or whatever. It's really the only common denominator all but, these entities have. And if you want to go meta, how does that how does oil how does how does that uh, convergence upon that one word uh, how does how does that build Donald Trump's legacy? Because I think that's kind of the thing that you have to be looking at the the big picture in light of how does this all build his legacy? To what end does oil or pursuing oil and appointing people who like oil or friends of oil? How does that build his legacy? Well, if you see the world as Donald Trump does in a purely Machiavellian sense, he who dies with the most toys wins. Life is about an acquisition of power. Mm-hmm. In our world, there are two, there are three ways to acquire power. Military might, relationships, commodity control, because that leads to prosperity control. That's why I went to war in Iraq when they invaded Kuwait in the first place, right? So does that answer your question? Very well could. Very right. well could. We're going to look at what, what's going on on the left when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. percent of the battles he refused to fight this is steve dace by the way that column from the blaze that i just referenced i have it uh, linked up on our facebook uh, wall in the uh, pinned thread from earlier today where i uh, posted uh, some of the thoughts about trump's cabinet that i just shared with us here on the air uh, it's in the comments section. If you guys want to check it out, I'd highly recommend it. It's an interesting read. If for no other reason that it is a plausible hypothesis no one else has posited forth that I think is, is interesting discussion going forward. In fact, I could see, if I, knowing Trump, I could see it being the kind of thing where if this is not his end game, he might read something like this because we know he's heavily influenced by the media and think, you know what? Now that you guys have connected the dots, let's go ahead and go there and see what happens, Right. All right, I want to switch gears because I I said on the show after the election, I I, I said after the election that I'm going to spend a good deal of time watching how the left responds to this. Because if we're only going to have it, if we're going to have a two party duopoly in America, we all have a vested interest in not having one of those parties go way off the communist, progressive Marxist fringe. Because if it's a duopoly, that means they're essentially in a relationship to some varying degree, they're entangled with one another. The two parties are. And if one of them goes off a leftist lunatic fringe, they will eventually drag, maybe kicking and screaming and albeit at a slower pace, but they're going to drag 
the other the the opposite side of the duopoly is going to get dragged to the left with them, right? So we, we I think we have a vested interest in knowing what's going on over there. I want to play for you a couple of clips. Two of the leading figures on the left responding to this election and what messages they think they need to hear from the American people. Let's begin with this clip from Vice President Joe Biden. Why do you think she did so poorly with white working class voters? Well, first of all, I I don't think as a party we spent, look, I'm really proud of what Barack and I, the president and I were able to do in the economy. But if you notice the last two years in the president's State of the Union, there's been a shift in the focus now that we got the car out of the ditch and on the road and running on really focusing on the real inequities that exist and still exist for working class, middle class people who are left behind. And, uh, and, uh, and what happened was that wasn't the central part of the campaign moving forward, in my view. Now, I said at the convention when I introduced Hillary and praised her, I said, we don't show enough respect to that group that, in fact, has been left behind. And, and these are people who had uh, good, decent jobs. My, my dad used to have an expression, for real. He'd say, remember, Joe, a job's about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about your respect. And as much as we've come back, there's still a segment of people who had good, decent jobs 5, 10, 12 years ago. And they're having trouble looking at the eye and saying, honey, it's going to be okay. I feel certain about where we are now. And we had to speak to those people. And, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, globalization has not been an unalloyed asset to everybody. Some people have left behind. There's ways to deal with that. But we never got a chance to speak to it in this election. And I think we paid a price for it. He is largely correct in what he says. But there's a missing ingredient here. The last line. He says, we as in Democrats never got a chance to speak to it in this election. Well, whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? Uh, the candidates. I mean, this was, this, yeah, this was a two year presidential election. This is a position that Hillary Clinton has been running for for almost a decade. You have the largest bully pulpit on this planet, the presidency. You had a convention. We had a four-day infomercial in front of millions of people, 20 million people across the country. There were ample opportunities for them to address this. And yet they chose not to. Even from a lip service perspective. Why? Because no man can rise above his own worldview. What happened in this election is for the first time the left got caught. They have gotten away with, for a long time, they have gotten away with convincing a lot of everyday middle-class Americans that they're with them. So keep voting for us. Meanwhile, our real focus is on advancing a leftist Marxist cultural progressive agenda. But we need to lie to you guys to get it, to get you to vote for us because there's not enough voters that believe in this leftist culture, culture, leftist cultural Marxist agenda. There's not enough voters that believe in it for us to win on this. So we have to add to our constituency and we need you people to really be the minions that vote. Except that didn't happen for the Democrats this time. Why not? We'll talk about that next.
You're listening to Steve Dace. So what if I told you every phone call you make is helping to fund progressive causes and politicians like Planned Parenthood and Hillary Clinton? You'd probably stop making phone calls, right? Well, the fact is your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your beliefs. And there are progressive radical liberal phone companies spending tens of millions of dollars to remove conservative leaders from office and fight for liberal social change. So what's a patriot like you to do? Well, you can start by calling my friends at Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and text, high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and donates up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. You get the same quality service, competitive prices, and you get to help causes you believe in. Call Patriot Mobile right now at 800-A-PATRIOT or go to PatriotMobile.com. Mention promo code Steve at checkout and receive $35 in free activation fees for up to two lines. Call 1-800-A-PATRIOT or go to PatriotMobile.com. Mention promo code Steve. Following the truth, no matter where it leads. The Steve Day Show. Here on the Steve Day Show, we are reacting to some of the, uh, the audio clips you've heard from prominent Democrats like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. And talking about how, really for the last several decades, Democrats had grown accustomed to, many of you in middle class America showing up and voting for them, even though they never gave you anything, just because you hated the Republicans much more, and that gave them the clearance to then go out and pursue their culturally Marxist progressive agenda. Well, after years of going along with this, you guys saw full bore when a full-fledged, unadulterated Marxist was elected to the presidency. You saw where he placed his priorities. You saw what came first and who came first. And you received that message loud and clear. And Donald Trump, if not anything else, is a good salesman. And as a guy that sold more real estate in in one of the highest rent districts on the planet than just about anybody else has, he can tell when a client or a mark has a soft spot. And he spoke to your concerns in ways these guys just simply chose not to. Because they don't have your concerns. They don't share your concerns. They think you're chattel. You're there just to show up on election day so that they can pursue their culturally Marxist leftist progressive agenda and then not to be heard from ever again. And if you think I'm wrong, I want you to now listen to this clip from Nancy Pelosi confirming everything I just said. The Democratic Party is in a moment of questioning about its identity. You were reelected to lead the Democrats in the House. What do you tell Democrats who want a new direction and and then go to you? What are you going to do differently? Well, I don't think that people want a new direction. Our values unify us, and our values are about supporting America's working families. That is one that everyone is in agreement on. What we want is a better connection of our message uh, to uh, to working families in our country, and that clearly in the in the election showed that that message wasn't coming through. Here's my question, though. Democrats, since 2008, the numbers are ghastly for Democrats. In Senate, Democrats are down 10 percent. In the House, down 19.3. And in governors, 35 percent. The Democrats are getting clobbered at every level over multiple elections. That seems like a real crisis well, for the party. Well, you're forgetting that we, we were up 50, you know, we went up so high 
uh, in 2006 and 2008. The, Demo the Republicans reacted to their losses with a big revolution and a change. They have a very new president at the top of their party now. You have somebody like Agricultural Secretary uh, Tom Vilsack saying that the Democratic Party is like a tree that, quote, looks healthy on the outside, but is in the throes of a slow and long-term demise. Well, I have enormous respect for the secretary, but I'm more optimistic about the strength of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's about protecting Medicare, Social Security, good-paying jobs for America's workers, protecting a woman's right to choose issues that unify us. Here you see the difference between a guy who is a progressive in Joe Biden but grew up surrounded by a lot of blue-collar people and blue-collar values who can still at least credibly speak to these concerns even if his worldview limits him to actually address them. Right. If you listen to everything Joe Biden said in the first clip, you would nod along and agree with everything he said. But you know what is missing from his from his analysis? Any solution whatsoever, any action whatsoever. He, he should have just looked at the camera and said, I feel your pain. That's all he did. But at least he understands where given his background, where he comes from, he gets it. He still comes from an era where Democrats got elected by legitimately attempting to address concerns like many, many of you in our audience have. But on the other side now, you hear this is where the existential crisis of the left comes in. Because now you hear the true California Marxist progressive here. Because in Nancy Pelosi's mind, she doesn't care that they lost all those states. Because they shoved Obamacare down your throats. Because Obama did everything they've ever wanted an authoritarian Marxist in the White House to do, by hook or by crook, with a pen and a phone. Because he has put forth and posited theories and ideas and policies that even if Donald Trump turns out to be every bit what some of you are fantasizing he will be, he couldn't roll them all back in two terms, let alone one. And that is worth it to them. Rick Santorum had it right. If, if, if Barack Obama knew now what he knew then when he signed Obamacare into law, that it would cost them all those seats, he would have done it anyway. See, now that is the difference. And this is the existential crisis that is happening on the left. We always talk about the one happening on the right. We rarely talk about the one happening on the left. And you can see it in these two clips, Todd. Yeah, you know, Joe Biden is kind of a poor man's Donald Trump. Even people who didn't like him ideologically all these years, you know, he seems like a decent enough guy. He would make, he would make gaffes that seem like deal breakers. But people would just, oh, that's lovable Joe. And, and so Donald Trump kind of, you know, turned that up by infinity and you get, you get Donald Trump. But I think you hit the nail on the head of it, but the dichotomy. There's still something that resembles the human in all of us in him. But, yes, with Nancy Pelosi, it is stay on target, stay on target. Because we, you, in her, in her viewpoint, you exist for her. Right. That's, that's why you're there. Why you're there to advance her missives, her policy aims. That's why you as a people exist. We're on a little, you guys are having a little tantrum right now. We'll just wait you out. Mm -hmm. And when you're done, we'll just continue marching this country over the Marxist cliff that we started back in the 60s. See, I, I think there was always this uh, trying to speak to the middle class, though, that the blue collar worker, I, I think that always happens with, with the Democrats. 
Democrats. But at this t- at this point in time, it's uh, really hard for anybody to actually care what they have to say about helping the middle class when you're telling me that I'm a bigot because I'm concerned that any time my daughter or my sister or my mom or any female relation goes into a, bub- uh, a bathroom in the public, if I'm concerned about that because I think creepy dudes are going to be in there, I'm a bigot. I-, I don't care about anything else that you have to say. They have overplayed their hands, and they are not learning any lessons. Well said, Aaron. And we'll conclude with this thought. Often during this election, we lamented how Trump put everybody on the right on the record, and we found out where everybody stood for better or for worse. Well, you know what he's also done? And this is what all of us owe him a debt of gratitude for, whether he did it intentionally or not. He has done the same thing to the left. His persona and the way he ran his candidacy didn't just force everybody on the right to come clean about whether they really believed in this Constitution stuff or not. But now everybody on the left has really had to come clean as well. Are they, are they really in this for the little guy? Or are they really in this for their guy? What are they really in this for? And, the, the, and Trump's candidacy, the force of nature that was Trump's candidacy, and the reasons many of you supported him, gave us a level of clarity from who the, about who the left truly is that we have rarely, if ever, been provided in our culture because so much of the media covers for them. And you heard it in these two clips. So Trump didn't just expose the right. He also exposed the left. You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberty has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. This is Steve Dace. Well, I know this time of year, a lot of worthy causes are asking for your help. And this Christmas, we're going to try and help the worthiest cause of them all. And that is the gospel. Over 2 million children in the Middle Eastern's refugee areas are dislocated in the area of Lebanon due to threats of terrorism and war, and we're trying to give them the gospel. We're trying to reach children like Amy. You would be hard-pressed to find refugees in Lebanon who have not experienced terrible loss. And it's the children who have suffered the most. Fleeing the terror of war, many have lost one or both of their parents. For Amy, it was her uncle, killed as he tried to flee Syria. Her wounded father is no longer capable of working or supporting the family. Heart for Lebanon met Amy in a refugee camp. Desperate for help and in great need, she was invited to attend the Hope Center in the Bekaa Valley. And that's where her life-changing transformation began. The school that I used to attend was not treating us well because we are refugee children. But I thank God for this school because it is drawing me closer to God and is teaching me about Him. The tens of thousands of refugee families in Lebanon are considered outcasts. 52% of all refugees are under the age of 18 and most have been out of school for several years. These kids, roaming the tent cities in despair, are targeted by radicals, exploited and recruited by criminal gangs for terrorist groups and sex trafficking, unless we help. 
Your gift of $98 brings the gospel to 18 of these kids. And at the Hope Center, Heart for Lebanon welcomes them to be part of a genuine faith community. We must rescue these children for Christ before someone else captures them for evil. Please, be as generous as you can. I love the Hope Center because it has introduced me to Jesus. Your gift to Heart for Lebanon is going to bring the gospel to children like Amy. In fact, we can reach 18 children like Amy with the gospel for only $98. Your one-time Christmas gift of $98 helps bring the gospel to 18 refugee children just like Amy, with stories just like the one you heard. Please call 844-441-9966. That's 844-441-9966. Or go to our website, stevedace.com, right now. Click on the banner right now. Help us take the gospel to these children in Lebanon. 844-441-9966. Or our website at stevedace.com. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will ring in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with our two of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We love to know what you think about what we think. Take advantage of the SteveDace.com inbox. One of three ways. Email us, steve at stevedace.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Good friend of mine joins us now. He is an activist, uh, one of the leading, I think, for my money anyway, one of the leading pro-life activists in the country. He's also a filmmaker, uh, and he's uh, one of uh, the contributors over at The Stream, where he's got a fascinating piece up there that we wanted to talk to him about tonight. Jason Jones joins us. and Jason, it's good to have you back, brother. How are you? I'm doing great, brother. Privileged to be on your show. It's always good to have you here with us. And uh, I'm uh, I'm curious, given that uh, you before we get to your column, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. Now that I'm going, I'm breaking into your line of work now, making movies. What do you? I, I saw that, and I'm very excited. What? Thank you, man. What do you? What do you? What do you suggest? What? What should I be on the lookout for? You know, it's a it's a long, hard. Battle your film, your you know the film is going to die several times before it's resurrected. It's going to die in the battle to make it a script, and then the battle to get the film produced, and then the battle to get it distributed. Uh, but there's no shortcut in, in influencing and changing culture, and that's why I'm involved in film. But at the end of the day, it's worth it. The quote William F. Buckley was was asked if he liked writing books, and he says, "No, I I hate writing books." I love having written a book, though. And um, 
it's a tough process, but it's worth it. Well, let's get to the piece that you wrote. That's not what you that's not what you wanted to hear, is it? No, I mean, well, I, well you didn't. Well, I knew you would tell me the truth, number one. But uh, I, I'm I'm well aware. Well, I, I shouldn't say well aware. I am as aware as I could be, having never gone through it before, of the things that you are describing. But it's a little bit like going through premarital counseling before you get married. I mean, you can right. be made aware of the challenges you will face, but in, until you actually face them, you're not fully aware. If you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, but it is the most rewarding thing. I have a ritual that at the uh, first night in theaters, I go by myself and I go to the very back right corner and I get popcorn, hot dogs, pizza, pretzels, and I just sit and watch the audience for nine mm-hmm. minutes. <laughs> you know, we were we were sitting in uh, we were at uh, Moana, my youngest daughter and I had a daddy daughter date a few weeks ago in the theater, watching the trailers, and our hope is that um, this film is going to be out in two thousand and eighteen. And uh, maybe even the first quarter of 2018, we'll see. And my my daughter looks at me as we're watching trailers, and she says, "Hey, Daddy, could we be at the movies a year from now, watching a trailer for your movie?" And I I hate to sound like you know a Facebook status, but I just went mind blown when she said that, Jason. Just the idea that that might even happen is something I can't even begin to. Uh, rationalize yet as excited about this as I am and you know when you do a radio show you put yourself and your thoughts and your handiwork out there for people to consume and to judge on a regular basis but something tells me that that this vetting process when the movie comes out and the way people will react to it is going to be a lot of a totally different animal than how they react to your radio show am I wrong no you're not wrong at all and but it's so exciting right to think that Steve Dace was sitting in his computer late at night with the lights off, his computer on, and it goes from from there to the silver screen all over the world. Pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting. All right, let's get to your article. Uh, And you you think uh, future looming President-elect Trump has his Iran hostage moment um, right now. Tell us about it. I do, and and I want to back up for a minute. You know, I was... uh, a big supporter of Ted Cruz, and in the end, when I went into the polling place, I didn't know if I was going to vote for Trump or not. And um, when I sat down to vote, I thought, what would my friends in the Nuba Mountains do? What would my Chaldean and Assyrian Christian friends ask me to do? And at that moment, I, I voted for Trump. And then when Trump won, you saw a celebration across the world on Egyptian television. Um, the, on the biggest news show, the host said, it's a great night for Egypt, and don't try to buy anti-diarrhea medicine because the Muslim Brotherhood is clearing the shelves right now. Um, they celebrated in the Nuba Mountains in southern Darfur. Uh, the Assyrians, the Chaldeans in Iraq and Syria celebrated. And um, so I do think that um, the Obama administration, for whatever reason, uh, our allies perceived that Obama had allied himself with their enemy, with their radical Islamists from, from Iraq and Syria to Sudan and Kenya. Um, and so I'm very hopeful for Iraq, for the Christians in Syria and Sudan. But there is a Christian missionary in, in prison right now, Peter Jasek. He's been in prison in Sudan for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ um, now for uh, over a year. It's been one year and, and one week. Today, 
And, uh, um, you know, these Islamists fear Trump. And I do think that this is, that this is his Iran hostage moment. If we can see Peter Jasek freed from, from prison. Um, and I think that we have a real opportunity. You know, the Islamists, if they're not at our, our feet, they're at our throat. And, um, and they're, and, and, and they're at the throat of our allies. Uh, month from today, I'll be in Syria on the front line. Um, and I know, um, firsthand what these Islamists are doing to the most vulnerable members of our human family. You know, I am a pro-life activist, and people say, Jason, your, your work is awful strange. You know, you, I thought you were pro-life, and other people go, I just thought you were a religious persecution. Well, for 20 years, my mission has been to just live in solidarity with the most vulnerable members of the human family, and from the child in the womb to the children of Aleppo, these are the most vulnerable members of our human family, and for the men and women who go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these folks, uh, like Peter Jastic, we need to say that we will be there for you. We'll be there to protect your rights, protect your dignity. I mean, they're they're sentencing him. They're trying him, and if he's found guilty, he will be sentenced to death. You mentioned Aleppo and 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 and, and the Sudan. What really? We hear these names: Aleppo, Darfur. What's really going on there? What what is really happening um, as we speak that the average American is unaware of? You know, these religious minorities, the Alawites, the Yazidis, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, they're in a battle, an existential battle. They're fighting for their existence. The radical interventionists that shattered Iraq, that now shattered Libya, that want to shatter Syria. You know, Assad isn't um, a good, he's not, I wouldn't vote for, you know, Assad to be mayor of my hometown, Honolulu, Hawaii. But he's not a product of the Anglo-American political tradition, and, and he is fighting an existential war uh, for the very existence of his people and other minorities like the Chaldeans and the Syrians. And where he's pushed back, uh, the minorities are liquidated. The men are killed. The women are sold into sex slavery. Last year when I was at NRB, I, I think I saw you there. Mm-hmm. I was there with two of my friends from Syria. We were there advocating um, on behalf of Christians in Syria. It was a great meeting, and we, we were meeting with so many influential people. We went into a restaurant to celebrate. And as we were sitting in the restaurant, on the news broke that a village in Syria had been raided. The men had all been killed, and the women were all captured. Just as we were watching it, my friends began to cry. Her phone rang and found out that all of her male cousins were dead and her female cousins were missing, and that happened to be her village. And these are real people not just pixels on a screen, that our foreign policy, the foreign policy of the radical interventionists, has destabilized the region to such, a, to such an extent that um, you now we have Bashir fighting a war for his, his mere existence. And remember, when we fought a war for our mere existence, we firebombed the cities of Germany and dropped two atomic bombs. So, but that's what's happening from the Nuba Mountains Yesterday in Egypt, we had a cop church um, destroy men, women, and even newborns, uh, several newborn children I heard were in that church and, and died. So these people are fighting a war for their very existence. Pro-life activist and good friend of mine, Jason Jones, is here with us, talking about his new piece over at the stream. Stream.org is the website if you want to read it yourself. 
why what's happening in Sudan, the humanitarian crisis there, why this could very well be Donald Trump's Iran hostage moment. We'll have more with Jason Jones here in just a second. Listening to Steve Dace. Your Daily Truth Project. This is Steve Dace. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Back here with pro-life activist and author at The Stream, Jason Jones. Why what is currently happening, the tragedy in Sudan and Darfur, why this could very well be Trump's Iran hostage moment. Are you concerned along those lines that uh, Donald Trump's Secretary of State nominee today, Rex Tellerson, comes highly recommended by uh, some of those people that uh, folks are, I think are radical interventionists, like Dick Cheney, Condi Rice, etc., has very chummy relationships with people like Putin, um, and who has a very chummy relationship with the Islamists, uh, the Ayatollahs in Iran. Are you concerned about that? No, I, I am concerned, and that's why we, we have to be vigilant. You know, I've been doing my part. I helped arrange a meeting with uh, Tulsi Gabbard, my congresswoman, from Hawaii and, and President-elect Trump. And one thing I knew when this election happened, the battle wasn't over, the, the radical interventionists, you have to give them this, they have fortitude. But we have to have fortitude. We have to be thoughtful. And they're going to use the language of human rights to goad Trump into action. But we have to put ourselves in the shoe. And that's why I'm going to Iraq and Syria, and I'm producing a documentary and I'm going to be meeting with the Christian leaders of Iraq and Syria so I can share with the people, of, you know, the American people, what our co-religionists, our brothers and sisters in these countries want. And I don't need a secular humanist from New York to tell me what's in the best interest of the Christians in Aleppo. I can ask the Bishop of Aleppo, and I think he knows, knows better. I don't think an academic in Cairo knows what's best for the people of Detroit. You know, I can ask the people of Detroit. I'm not going to ask an intellectual in Cairo. And, um, you know, the, the, the elite, the, the, uh, the, that those intellectual elite, the intellectual elite um, from, you know, Manhattan to D.C., they want to tell us what's best for the, the people of, of, of Cairo and, and Baghdad and Basra and Aleppo. But I want to let these people speak for themselves, and they want order, and they want peace, and their lives, you know, it's not a chessboard, it's not a, a risk game, a game of risk. Um, the, you know, as conservatives, and you get this these days, and that's why I'm a big fan of yours, what passes for conservatism today often is just radical ideology um, branded as conservatism, and uh, war is not a conservative value. We need to be very, very thoughtful. You know, that's the biggest intervention a state can make in the life of a human person isn't tax increases, it's war. 
And so we have to be very thoughtful um, when we use our military. We need to be very thoughtful when we go in there uh, demanding regime change. Tulsi Gabbard just introduced legislation this week making it illegal to fund America's enemies, al-Qaeda and ISIS. A Democrat congresswoman, a veteran, a combat veteran, Hmm. uh, a colonel in the National Guard, introduces a bill to say it should be illegal to fund ISIS and al-Qaeda with the federal government, our government, our taxpayer dollars. That means it's happening. And um, why are we funding our enemies? Why are we funding these people? Well, because they're destabilizing the regime in Syria. What happens when Assad is pushed back? The men are killed and the women are sold into sex slavery. And now even the regions that are being liberated, we're not hearing of these women being liberated. They're lost. They're gone. Jason, final question. What If you were sitting in Trump Tower with Donald Trump right now, what would you recommend he do? Well, what would I recommend he do right now is I would demand that Peter Jassic be released from prison. First and foremost, this is a great opportunity. You know, um, the government of Sudan is celebrating Trump and saying that he can work with Trump. Well, then this is where Trump has to say, you know, um, you need to let Peter Jasek out of prison. We as Christians need to let Trump know that this is this is um, a priority to us. That we want a Christian first foreign policy. We want uh, a foreign policy that looks after the most vulnerable uh, religious minorities in the Middle East. That we are their friends. And Trump needs to signal this. By the way, most people in Iraq, in Syria, in Egypt, they're our allies. Um, and another thing that Trump needs to let them know is, and, and you know, most Americans don't see this news coverage, but I, I follow the news coverage from the region. They celebrated the Trump victory. Egypt celebrated the Trump victory because they saw that a vic- Trump's victory was Trump would be the enemy of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um the Christians in Iraq and Syria celebrated it because they knew that Trump uh, was opposed to this radical intervention that Hillary so uh, that Hillary supported. Trump needs to signal he's going to stick to that, and that his administration is going to stick to that. And then we, as, as conservatives, just need to be thoughtful. We are citizens of the freest, most powerful country in the history of the planet Earth. Um, we're a big fish, and when we jump out of water, we can sink boats. We We've created a lot of sorrow for people in Iraq, in Libya, in Syria. And my message when I go, go to the region next month is, Donald Trump said he wants Americans to make America great again, but the era of radical interventionism is over, and it's time for Iraqis to make Iraq great again, Syrians to make Syria great, Egyptians to make Egypt great, but we're going to stop meddling in, in their affairs. Jason Jones, you can check out his piece at the stream, stream.org. <clears throat> Pardon me. Stream.org is the website. Sudan, Sudan, Trump's Iran hostage moment. It's always good to talk to you, my friend. Merry Christmas and uh, God bless you. Okay. Merry Merry Christmas. God bless and congratulations again on your film. Hey, keep that keep that mobile phone handy when I'm when I'm stressed out. I'm calling you for uh, to coach me up during this there. process. All right. It's going to be exciting. Thank you, Jay. Take care. Bye. Gentlemen, your thoughts on the conversation we just had with Jason Jones, Todd. Well, the very day we're having this conversation, there are videos being posted from Aleppo with people saying this is probably going to be the last, my last communication 
uh, to the world. It is dark. Uh, are there any good answers? I'm not entirely sure. But this is the world that Obama has blinked at, at best, at best. This is the world that uh, George W. Bush ultimately played a role, whether intended or not, in bringing to bear. And I say I bring that up because I, I supported uh, the war in Iraq. The war in Iraq is the, the first salvo into this. So this is challenging. It is complicated. It is sometimes morally ambiguous. And we just got done putting Donald Trump in office, who is the very definition of morally ambiguous at best. So I, I, I pity not only the people of Aleppo, but all such people who face such times because the I don't know if the modern leadership is equipped to deal with what we're facing, Steve. Aaron? My prayers, uh, Lord, deliver them because I, I fear that our our country and our leadership, as you just alluded to, Todd, are that they just lack the moral fortitude and the moral wherewithal to make the decisions and to 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 do the right thing here. Got to know what the right thing is. Yeah. First. You're listening to Steve Dace. Where nine black-robed masters don't get to become their own self-appointed constitutional convention. The Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Last name spelled D-E-A-C-E. You know, we like to talk a lot about cultural engagement and the need for it, right? And that ultimately, politics flows downstream from culture. That, that culture is where the real battle is at. And that we are conservatives... Because we are trying to conserve the things in our culture that history has proven are, are best for the human condition and responsible for creating and perpetuating and passing on American exceptionalism. You guys with me so far? Absolutely. So we often get asked, hey, I, I love what you guys are saying, but what does that look like? What does it look like to do so? I'm wondering if anybody thinks it looks like this. Folks, my name is Pastor David. Kids, I wanted to tell you today that there is no such thing as Santa Claus. Santa Claus does not exist. The Christmas season is about Jesus. Jesus was born 2016 years ago. He was born in a manger in a small town called Bethlehem. And that's the truth about Christmas. The man you're going to see today is just a man in a suit dressed up like Santa, but Santa does not exist. Santa's not real. And parents, y'all need to stop lying to your children and telling them that Santa Claus is real when in fact he's not. 
When you substitute the lie of Santa Claus in the heart of your child for the truth of Jesus Christ, you are bearing false witness against God. Don't lie to your children and tell them there's such a thing as Santa when you know in reality that there are no flying reindeer, there is no workshop at the North Pole, there is no elves making toys, that you buy all the gifts and put them under the tree, that's all the truth. And there is no real Santa Claus. There is no Santa. It is not your place to lie to your children. Tell them the truth Shut about up. Jesus Christ. Hey, Tell stop. them the truth stop. about what Christmas stop. is all about. So the jerk store called, and they're all out of this guy. Okay? I mean, at what point do you get up in the morning? I'm dead serious, guys. At what point do you get up in the morning... Maybe if you're a pastor, you do a devotional, right? And somehow the inspiration, this took place in a mall, correct? Correct, yep. The inspiration to go to a mall and and do that to a bunch of kids and their families over what is largely a harmless custom and fun-filled tradition strikes you as this is exactly what is required to advance the kingdom of God. Where do you have to go in your spiritual walk to think, this is where Jesus needs me? Here. Making little kids cry in front of the department store, Santa. This guy's lucky, guys, that nobody laid him out. Preach. This guy is lucky that in this day and age of the soft-headed and the feeble-minded and the weak-kneed and the emasculated, that somebody didn't just walk over there and say, vengeance is mine. And just cold cock him. And before we discuss this any further, let me say this too. If you are writing me that email about Christmas's pagan origins, and this is why you are super Christian, because you don't celebrate it, you're wasting your time. It will immediately get deleted. I will put you on the ban list on my email account so I never see another email from you again. Turn off your station. You're wasting your time. Okay? I'm not even going to entertain that sort of tomfoolery. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Making all the right enemies, Steve Dace.
All right, so back here on the Steve Day Show, we're talking about this pastor, and we use that term loosely, from in Texas, who thought that uh, the, the, way, the way to uh, bring in and usher in the kingdom of God to the next generation was to show up at a mall in front of the department store Santa display and begin yelling at kids about how none of this is real and they're all heretics. This is exactly what cultural engagement, folks, does not look like. I cannot believe this guy's church, his elders, his deacons, they're proud of this. I, I just, there's this, this is beyond the pale. Help me to understand what kind of a witness that is to the world. I don't know. I, I seem pretty uh, convinced by his argument. No. Uh, and seriously. Here, here's a question I'd like to ask this pastor. You ever gone down to the local Planned Parenthood and screamed like that? Before women go in there and kill their kids? You ever done that? I don't know. Maybe he has. I'm, but I'm asking. Ever done that? Ever gone to a school board meeting where they're getting ready to teach your kids on your dime? That two guys sodomy, sodomizing each other is a civil right? And if they don't want dudes in the girls' locker room, then they're a bunch of bigots. Think he goes there? I don't know. Maybe he does. But why do I bring those things up? Because if, if you're looking for an occasion to make an <clears throat> out of yourself in public over the faith, there's a lot bigger fish to fry than the department store Santa Claus, buddy the elf. The only thing missing there, I, when I first heard this story, I thought it was a parody. I was waiting for this guy to say, you sit on a throne of lies. Then I realized this is true. If you're going to be, if you're going to go to the jerk store for the faith, then at the very least, go the places where hell is burning hottest. The department store Santa Claus would not be it. So of all the places, Todd, for a minister, for a man of the cloth to get up one morning and say, you know what, today's the day for me to go, the end is nigh. Today is the day for me to scream, bring out your dead in a public setting, to warn everybody, judgment is coming. Where else is a better place for me to get my point across, not the red light district, not the school board meeting, not the board of regents? Not even on one of those pagan college campuses. Oh no. Not not outside the Planned Parenthood, but the Planned Butcherhood Clinic. No, the place for me to go is in front of the department store, Santa Claus. Yeah, this guy's a coward. He sh- if he has a church, I'm not exactly sure what his full time ministry is. People should leave it. I I say I'm totally comfortable in saying that. unless this was some sort of, you know, I I was sleepwalking or something like that, this is appalling. It would have taken every ounce of Christian energy I have not to do what you were talking about and just pop them. And I'm not sure if I held back, I'd be making the right call. There's such a thing as natural consequences, you know, and if if you mess with the bull, somebody should give you the horns. I I I I want to elaborate on what you said. How do you wake up in the morning? Well, unfortunately, way too many of us wake up in the morning as Christians, living any number of heresies, faux courage, 
like this guy, or the opposite, not standing for anything. That seems to be where the state of the church is. My church, the Catholic Church, Steve, you and I talked about it off air a couple days ago. Uh, now we're talking about training pre priests uh, formally into the various pitfalls of uh, global warming. We are nowhere on so many levels. And this guy is the exact kind of story that any number of Christian uh, non-Christians here during the Christmas season and whatever work the Holy Spirit was doing just will be pushed way back down at least until next Christmas or God miraculously intervenes because it is human feces like this guy that totally destroy the gospel. I mean, turn over the tables of the money changers. Go after the Pharisees and the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. At what point do you read scripture and does that look like the Christmas line at Macy's? I think this is an important um, thing to note for, for a, a lot more people because this is this is an extreme example. But yes, when these kids next winter or next uh, Christmas when they see Santa and they think back to that time at the mall when some crazy guy was talking about how Santa isn't real because Jesus, that's that's what they're going to re remember. And I think it's, at least for me, that's a reminder that am I making the main thing the main thing in all of my interactions the rest of time? Of course, I'm not crazy at, like this guy, but you know, most of us probably aren't. But when we start focusing on things that are just so secondary and tertiary and making huge deals about them what are we saying to other people what are we saying to unbelievers that's that's that is terrifying it should terrify us so the, the, the thing to remember at least for me just stop making a big deal out of things that are just so secondary ultimately people don't go to church because they don't want to be confronted with the fact they need to repent of their sins that's that's always the real reason why Everything else is a false objection. But that doesn't mean, however, that we should be feeding them false objections. That doesn't mean that we should be feeding them false objections that helps them to hide and gives them an excuse to rationalize hiding from the need to repent of their sins. And when we behave in a way where we use our authority as believers to abuse people, to betray them, uh, to commit you know, offense against them, whether it's something of a sexual or criminal or physical or emotional nature, we do that. And that's exactly what this episode is as well. This guy didn't accomplish anything for the gospel at all, but hell applauds. Because hell's going to use this guy's example all over the fruited plain of exactly why you don't ever want to step into a church and hear what those believers have to say. Because they're like that. You're listening to Steve Dace. Jenner's favorite program. Call me Caitlin. This is Steve Dace. Well, you know, there's been a lot of discussion and debate 
throughout the course of this year about how to handle the refugee crisis in the Middle East. Let's face it, we're dealing with a lot of adults who could be potential security risks. And our friends in Europe have been going through the tragic consequences of this process throughout the course of this year. But that doesn't mean, even though there's legitimate concerns about how many of these people we can import, that doesn't mean there's a lot of children that still aren't caught in the crossfire of war and terrorism. And we have a chance right now to help children just like Ellen. Ellen was depressed, angry, and living in despair, a long way from the home she loved. At first, we had stability in Syria. But after the war started, I lived in fear every day for myself and my family. We wanted to stay, but soon realized that we had no choice but to escape and leave our home. Millions of refugees have faced the same reality of having to escape in the face of war and terrorism. For Ellen, this change proved more difficult than she ever imagined. Traveling for miles by foot, trying to escape with all my children was very dangerous. We lived in daily fear of ISIS ambushing us on the roads, and that journey was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. What Ellen never expected, though, was what awaited her and her family once they reached the refugee camp. It was there that she met Heart for Lebanon. I'm no longer angry or depressed. Ellen and her family also finally heard, for the first time, the clear truth of the gospel. We had heard about Jesus, but never learned about him. This is the most important thing to happen to me, to know Jesus. I didn't know Jesus as a savior, and now I come every month to Bible study and learn about the love of God. It is very different in Islam. We lived in fear. Christianity has taught me about love. And her children are learning about God's love as well. Enrolled at Heart for Lebanon's Hope Center, they're learning English, math, science, and like so many other refugee children, they've responded to the gospel and received Christ as Savior. Despair turned to hope. You make this happen when you give to Heart for Lebanon. $98 brings the gospel to 18 refugee children, but any amount will help. And please know this, when you give, lives are changed and entire communities of faith rise up out of the desert. Thanks for being as generous as you can. We can help Ellen right where she is. We can take the gospel to her through Heart for Lebanon. 844-441-9966. 844-441-9966. Or just go to my website at stevedace.com. Click on the banner to take the gospel to children like Ellen in Lebanon right now. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. 
America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. I've got three more shows after tonight, so if you want to let us know what you think about what we think before the new year arrives, now's the time. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is three questions when our producer Aaron gets to teach us that Mama was right when she told you that it ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. He gets to ask us the questions, put us on the defensive. Sometimes even with your help, because you get to suggest some questions as well. There is only one rule. Nothing is off limits, but he has to answer the same questions, too. Question one, I need to stipulate something, and I want to stipulate that most people in the millennial generation don't think or don't take Russia seriously. There's a fairly ambivalent attitude uh, towards Russia and what they stand for. If anything, they're just kind of this meme, and there's this stereotype in people's head about Russia in my generation. So my question is, if you had to explain and convince a millennial they should be concerned with Russia... How would you make that case? You're dealing with one of the largest nations on Earth in terms of surface area, population. Uh, Also, even though it doesn't have the sort of uh, control over uh, the world's uh, commodities and energy that it had when it was the expansive Soviet empire, it is still, that's especially, it's one of the reasons why they went into Crimea. Uh, It is still an area that has uh, huge strategic um, importance from a commodity from a, an econ- a global economic perspective. And the person running it is a one-man dictator whose last job before the fall of the old Soviet Union was helping to run its secret police, the KGB. All right, And has essentially orchestrated through various um, nefarious, pardon the expression, connections, including with the Russian mob, to, uh, to essentially make himself... It's new Brezhnev. It's new Andropov. Uh, it's it's new Khrushchev. Um, it, without a pesky Politburo, though, to provide intrigue and oversight, he's a one man. Uh, he's a one man dictatorship now, uh, and he and he was able to successfully maneuver himself through all of that because of these nefarious associations. Uh, after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of the old Soviet Union, and now he also is involved in helping Iran develop its quote-unquote nuclear energy program. So at the very least, there is prima facie evidence that he is someone to be dealt with, Todd, with at least some level of skepticism um, and hesitancy. Or you could take it to the next extreme, maybe to be seen as an enemy. That is a perfect and lucid answer, which is why it can't help but fail to make a dent. I mean, <laughs> the fact that you have to give that answer at all is a sign of the problem we are facing, and it goes, it's goes in a macro sense, it goes beyond just Russia. These people don't believe in enemies, period. They, they believe ISIS is the real victim in many respects, that they need job programs. They, 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 the places they see monsters are... are, are uh, 
Chip and Joanna Gaines. Right. And, and dads who don't want their daughters going into transgender bathrooms. This is what we're dealing with. So what you're saying, while an A-plus on the uh, answer on the ACT... If it was, a is, lucid, if it was uh, towards a lucid uh, millennial, then yeah, it would be good. It's just going to fail to resonate. There are no the overlapping circles. They just there's, they don't come together anymore. There's, we do not hold anything in common, unfortunately. They have their reality. We have ours. One has to win and one has to well, lose. And, and what you just described is why we had the last two election results we had. We had two variations and manifestations of authoritarianism from opposite, uh, somewhat opposite sides of the spectrum on certain key issues. Um, and I think that is both sides attempting to find their own strong man to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And forgetting that what makes America America is not, is, is not the people at the top who run the show. But the idea is that we stand for it. It's the old line from Chesterton. America was the only country ever founded by a creed. We have lost that creed. And so now we have essentially become dueling, dueling bastions of vested interests. And, and I want my ox to get the gourd. I want my mill to get the grist. I want my palm to get the grease. And when the other sides are, guys are in power, then it's out of balance in their favor. And so the next election simply just decides... What the scales of grift of, of, of grifter uh, gets the payoff, as opposed to actually standing for, defending, perpetuating what made us a shining city on the hill in the first place. Well said. Now, if if I was talking to a lucid millennial, some somebody who's actually trying to think through things rationally and hear all sides, I, I would say what you said, Steve. But if it's for this um, caricature and pretty true caricature that t Todd is kind of talking about, I would say there's there's no help for you. Go back to. Um Coney 2012 or whatever that was. Question two, what fascinating theological concept or biblical passage have you been thinking a lot about lately? I, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about Christmas stuff because mm -hmm. I'm about to give my second Christmas sermon at our church, and I gave one in early December, and I'm giving one on Christmas Day. So I've been focused on a lot of stuff relating to uh, Christmas. Um, and um, the amount of Bible and serious theology that is in our traditional Christmas carols. And, and how, when you get to the second and third verses, I mean, you look at a song like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, for example, the, the first verse that most people know is a lot of serious Bible. There's a lot of serious theology there, but with, pardon the expression, with each progressive verse, um, it gets more explicitly biblical, more explicitly theological, to the point that really what you're seeing aren't Christmas carols, they're psalms in yeah. many respects. So, just because, you know, I've been doing Bible study to get ready to preach at church, those are the things I've been looking at. Well, an important reminder at Christmas is, uh, along with uh, the birth of uh, the Christ child, is the slaughter of the innocents. That the, this is, all of the Christian tales that we start telling our children, they have a, a nursery rhyme feel to it in the telling, but they can't stop there. With, you know, with Noah's Ark, a, a boat full of animals has got to turn into something more. It has to, you, you, you're talking about a flood that killed everyone because of sin. The birth of the Christ child, what, what that brought into the world was ultimately salvation. But it was salvation through many different versions of a bottoming it out. And Christ taking 
all of it upon himself. And he's showing you right there from the beginning what that all of it looks like. It looks like a level of perversion to the point where you slaughter infant after infant after infant in the name of your own uh, personal whims. What does that sound like, folks? It's still going on today. Hmm. Been uh, reading through Galatians recently, and it's just fascinating um, to me how the Apostle Paul uh, was... Uh, he was he was unique in uh, in terms of his uh, apostolic authority and the way that he was of course um, called to the ministry we we hear the story about the, the Paul on the road to Damascus but then his training and that supernatural um event that happened during his uh, that was his training that was incredible and then in Galatians uh, specifically how he uh, has no fear in uh, confronting other church leaders like Cephas upon their hypocrisy and their uh, and their legalism. That's, uh, that, to me, is fascinating. The Apostle Paul is just um, a never-ending trove of just profound insight and, uh, and thought. Question three, if you were a multimillionaire, what stereotypical big-ticket possession would you be the most inclined to buy? Um... That's a great question. Uh, I would say there'd be two things that would be at the top of my list. One is I'd have the uh, I'd have the ultimate home theater in my, like a like an actual theater room. I'd actually have that. All right, in my house, I'd have that. I just assumed sure. you did already. No, I have a nice man cave. I've got a I've got a, a the biggest TV I could get down into my basement. <laughs> but I'm talking like a real theater. All right, talking 4K projector. You know, I'm talking like when you go to the movies, I'd have that. The other thing, too, is um, I'd buy a house big enough so that when the kids grow up and they want to take come, come home for Christmas and those sorts of things, there's rooms and stuff for everybody, all the grandkids and everything else to stay. Those are probably two things I would look at. Buy a Jeep with the big lift package on it. Just always wanted one. Well, I've gotten to this point and nobody's Jesus juked yet. I'm really glad I'd get a private jet. That's a good point, too. I like that. You're listening to Steve Dace. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God, the Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We got to get some buzz going. And this is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back and take a quick look at some of the headlines you missed from earlier in the show, because not even in the course of three hours can we cover everything that is worthy of it. So this is the buzz, as reported to us, headlines that our producer Aaron has noticed that are trending on social media or at your water cooler, wherever you happen to work. He gives us those headlines, and we've got the hot takes. Newt Gingrich sounded as if he had been uh, taking speech lessons from Dr. Penn Carson today when he said... Donald Trump is the grizzly bear in The Revenant. If you get his attention, he'll be awake, bite your face off, and sit on you. I, okay. I, I just, I don't know. I, he I, ran for president once, Steve. I, I haven't said anything about this. He sent me an email, or maybe it was one of his people, I don't know, about a month ago. 
and him and Callista have another history book out for kids. It's a really good series. And every time he's asked me to help him promote it, I've said yes. I couldn't even bring myself to respond. I just couldn't. Because in good conscience, I couldn't bring him on and not address or ask about some of these. I guess we'll call them oddities, for lack of a better euphemism, or one that's far less, uh, or, 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 or far more cruel. Okay, I, I just, it's undignified watching a man of his stature and age become a bootlicker for another man. A total dude code by it. Forget politics. Forget the ideology. This is total, we're, 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 at, we're at, we are violating the dude code stuff now. I mean, you just can't jock sniff another grown man to the level that Newt Gingrich is jock sniffing Donald Trump. Forget party, ideology, relationships. Just on a penile dude level, I am uncomfortable with this. And I would think all dudes on a penile dude level would be extremely uncomfortable with this. The only thing left for Newt Gingrich to say now is to go on TV and say, I really think, I mean, look at Trump's shoulders. That suit looks great on him. I I mean, that's the only thing left, guys. That is the only thing left. The only thing left is for Trump is for the is for the two to go out to dinner with their wives. Gingrich to Trump to get up and say, "I've got to use the restroom," and Gingrich to look at him and say, "I'll join you." That's the only thing left. Oh, that is the only thing left. It's un. It's I'm I'm uncomfortable with it. All true, and this is just also for a jock sniffer. This is just a terrible analogy. This, you're saying he is a wild animal indiscriminately clawing humans to uh, death? You're, you're living in an era where Vox today broke the story that, that, that it turns out Star Wars is really about war. And they're dismayed after w- watching Rogue One to have learned a series called Star hmm. Wars is about war. So we are, we're not living in an era of the sharpest not knives in the drawer, my friend. Well, remember that when you and I were... Uh, Steve, yeah, do you hear sh- something? Yeah, you shorted out. Sp- I'm yeah. five, and the uh, the rebel starship comes in, and then we see for the first time the star destroyer coming in, and it never stops. The very first and it's shooting. shot, yes. And you're right; the whole war thing was lost on me. It's good to know now, Steve. <laughs> oh lord! Yeah, comparing the and, and so that's the idea that you're going to compare a guy who's who has the lives of millions of people in his hands with an indiscriminate savage beast who will kill. At, at at just the mere whim, that's not the that is not the job. Not the droids you're looking, you're looking for. for. No, it's not. <laughs> this next story is a bit complicated, so bear with me. About uh, for seventy five years, Wonder Woman has uh, bested all manner of comic book villains thrown her way, but now the Amazonian princess has met her match. Bureaucrats at the United Nations. The international body ended its partnership with DC Comics, distributor of the Wonder Woman's comics, less than two months after the character was designated an honorary UN ambassador. That's according to NBC News. From the get-go, evidence since uh, this announcement, feminist detractors, including many UN staffers, blasted the choice, uh, with many literally turning their backs to the announcement ceremony. In October, some UN staffers began circulating a petition blasting as offensive, the current iteration of the Wonder Woman character for being a large-breasted white woman of impossible proportions, scantily clad in shimmery, thigh-bearing bodysuit with an American flag motif and high knee boots, the epitome of a pinup girl. Uh, I didn't didn't the, the author of Wonder Woman 
say that she's yeah. a lesbian, though? Yeah, went total social justice warrior and then came at me on Twitter and I had to block a bunch of fake uh, trolls. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. but uh, this is grab the tubbo corn time, guys. This is progressive on progressive violence. What do you do when two, when two Marxist progressives begin fighting one another? You watch. That's what you do. You watch and you cheer and you make sure to get a refill. It's so confusing. They're, they're concerned about white, large-breasted women. But these same people with concerns, when they go to things and they want to protest the likes of Donald Trump or, any, or corporate something or the other, these days they tend to take off their shirts and show us their white breasts. I don't understand what I'm supposed to think or feel. Listen, I can't think right now. You're trying to ask intellectual consistency and honesty when Vox just told us today Star Wars is about war. I don't want to be in this world. Star Wars is about war? It's about war. Yeah, Star Wars, turns out, it's about war. You're almost it's in about the basement, war, Steve. You're almost there. <laughs> Stay on target. Uh, speaking about <laughs> progressives fighting each other, students at Reed College in Portland, Oregon, protested lesbian film director Kimberly Pierce during a recent screening of her 1999 film Boys Don't Cry, accusing her of profiting off of the plights of trans people. The film about the 1993 rape and murder of More. Brandon yes. Tina, a 21-year-old. Hold on, hold on. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Continue, yes. <laughs> uh, the film uh, about a 1993 uh, rape and, and murder of Brandon Tina, a 21-year-old trans, won multiple awards, including an Oscar for actress Hilary Swank. But a handful of students at Reed College protested an appearance last month by uh, Miss Pierce, the film's lesbian and self-described gender-fluid writer and director, for alleged transphobia. I want more. I want more. I, I, when, when you find something you like, you need more. you got to have more. I need more of this. This has like been the best nightly buzz we've ever had. <laughs> I'm buzzed after these last two stories. I mean, just, just put all the locusts in a room, lock the door, and say we're going to have tryouts. And speaking of buzzed, legal marijuana sales in Colorado surpassed $1 billion during the first 10 months of 2016. That's according to newly released figures from the state's Department of Revenue. And now cue the uh, 10,000 emails Steve is going to get about legalized marijuana. Yeah, I just, I, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I, I will not respond. It is an issue I refuse to take a position on. I, I just, I don't care. All right. But those previous two stories, yes. Yes, more of that, please. More. More cowbell. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Yes. Can you tell me once again, Aaron, when that movie was made, Boys Don't Cry? 1999, like as in when I was six. So, yeah. So, way ahead of the curve, this gal goes out there and sticks her neck out. It makes we disagree with, but she made a movie way before what's transpired these last couple of years. So, she, isn't she a founding father of their movement? Somehow, no, she's a heretic. A locusts, it's remarkable. Locusts don't distinguish between founding fathers and heretics. That's why it's so much fun when they turn on each other. Yes. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not saying that God is on our side. We're just trying to get on his. This is Steve Dace.
All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. He is a multiple New York Times bestselling author. In fact, he's one of the bestselling authors of our era. Max Lucado joins us. His new book, Because of Bethlehem, Love is Born, Hope is Here, and we want to welcome him to the show tonight. And Max, it's a it's a pleasure. Really, it's an honor to have you with us. How are you? Oh, the, the honor's all mine. Thanks for making time for me. Max, I like to tell folks I'm a conservative because I believe in conserving things. I, I, I'm trying to conserve the things that I think history has shown are what's best here, this side of heaven, are what's best for the human condition. And that's one of the things, or one of the reasons why I'm so adamant about communicating to our audience uh, the real reason for the season, what it is we are celebrating here, because coming out of what what occurred this moment 2,000 years ago, a lot of the various traditions, teachings, morals that gave birth to this thing called American exceptionalism began one day um, with a Jewish, birth, a Jewish birth with the one kid who could literally say when his mom yelled at him, yes, I was born in a barn. And that's where it really <laughs> all began, right? I have never heard that. I was born in a barn. I, I wish I had heard that you said in the book. You know, that's absolutely true. The the beauty of the of the Christian faith, uh, Steve, is is just the uniqueness of it. Just the beauty. It's, it's so so um, outlandish that no human, I think, could ever made it up. And and that is this promise that God became a baby and was born in a barnyard and and wrapped in swaddling clothes and lived on the earth among His creation. Uh, breathing our air, walking in our dust, and experiencing everything we experienced, never fell into sin, and then died on the cross uh, for our sins and rose from the dead to prove that he was the King of kings and, and the Lord of lords. That's, that, that the Christmas just gives us a chance to rehearse and remember and recite the wonderful story of Christ. It is, because what sets this all apart, really, is... Every other religious system, Max, it seems to me, you go throughout history, begins with a, with some sort of creed, some sort of, of faith statement, some sort of mythos. And and what you see in, in Christianity is that it, its two tent poles are, object, are objective historical fact claims that either God put himself in human form uh, to be born of a woman, just like the rest of his creation, to have to be nursed, to have to be changed, to have to be fed, to have to be raised, to have to be taught, and then as an adult, lived as an adult. He was hungry like us, had to go to the bathroom like us, had to sleep like us. I mean, that, that first of all, just should blow your mind to begin with. The, the idea that the most powerful being in the universe is willing to lower himself uh, along those lines in order to have communion to you with you to be Emmanuel to be God with us that either happened or it didn't and and either a dead man was dead and then was alive or it or he wasn't and I think that's what really sets this apart and and why it's so hard to accommodate our worldview but when Christianity comes along like cold water to the face of a sleeping person and says hey wake up these things either happened or they didn't right exactly and, and God comes in the form of Jesus Christ uh, as a kind and loving Redeemer, but also a perfect and righteous judge. Um, and we, we actually use the term king. We regard him as king. And so consequently, we find ourselves sometimes 
living uh, in, with an attitude toward a king that creates a certain worldview, uh, a worldview toward uh, the preborn, for example, or a worldview toward the sanctity of marriage, a worldview toward the poor, a worldview toward... Um, we could make a pretty good list, couldn't we? And, it, and these, these, are, these are teachings that are above any government. And so we find ourselves sometimes in conflict with what the government says we should do or should permit, and uh, and what, what what Scripture says, and so the constant conflict that we have is: uh, can we, as a nation, live together in a pluralistic society, and 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 and, and respect one another enough to allow a person to have high regard for his God without imposing uh, convictions upon him, and vice versa? Can we, who have convictions that we receive? Uh, from Scripture, live respectfully with our neighbor who who may not have those convictions. Max, pardon me, I'm up against a hard break, but I'm going to let you finish that thought when we come back here with Max Lucado, author of Because of Bethlehem, Love is Born, Hope is Here, in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. This is the show your atheist college professor warned you about. This is Steve Dace. The one and only best selling author, Max Lucado, our guest here on the Steve Dace Show tonight. Author of Because of Bethlehem, Love is Born, Hope is Here. Stories from Christmas that we that are really legends to a lot of people. Shepherds, uh, stars, uh, mangers, wise men. How, how relevant are these stories to us today? And, and how do we translate them today? Wonderful question. Each one of these stories has, one, has a powerful relevance to our lives today. Uh, you know, the story of, of, of the wise men who were actually Persian stargazers and yet found themselves bowing before the, the baby Jesus. That sends a message that God's gospel is for the whole world. It's for anybody who comes. Uh, the shepherds, uh, bottom of the totem pole economically, may, might have even been night shift shepherds. And yet who shows up, uh, to, to whom did the angels appear and, and who showed up worshiping Christ? You're never, never too simple, never too poor to come to Christ. Then there's the story of Herod, King Herod. He could have, he could have made the ten mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, but he was too proud. Uh, he, he was too proud to do so. And so every one of these stories carries with it, I think, a message of of great relevance uh, for us today, because we ask those questions. You know, who can come to God, and uh, you know, what what are the things that keep us from God? Well, we find answers in the early characters of the, of the Christmas story. You know, when you when you were laying that out, Max, I'm I'm thinking um, in terms of archetypes and and what it, what would do all the individuals that you just referenced? Who would they be in our culture today? Yeah. Mary, a single mother, 
um, Joseph marries into uh, some, you know, obviously he's he, he's the father, but he's not the natural father. So this is, in a way, almost a, 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 a first century version of a blended family. Mm-hmm. You see, you mentioned the the, the, the Persian stargazers, uh, you know, people of science or, uh, you know, people of, uh, of, of maybe pagan origin. Um, and then you look at um, the shepherds. I mean, these are working class, lower working class individuals, uh, the kind of which that, frankly, high society didn't place a lot of stock in. And, and you look at how they all of these various factions that are that make up a lot of our own everyday culture in America today. They all converge here at the manger scene. And then who is not there? Who's not there is the is the authoritarian from what he views to be an omnipotent government, all powerful, that that simply will not bow the knee to an authority higher than his own. And of course, we know the next chapter of the story. Tragically, he seeks out seeks to snuff out anything or anyone that would seek to say you are not the highest authority here on this earth. Boy, there are a lot of parallels there to the culture we live in today, is there not? I love the way you summarized it. To be honest, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody work their way through all of the different characters there, but it truly is a mosaic, a mosaic of our day. And there's even another group. There, there were the religious leaders uh, to whom Herod turned uh, when the wise men came to Jerusalem. They were the ones who consulted the Torah. Mm-hmm. But uh, for whatever reason, even though they read the prophecy that said that uh, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, for whatever reason, they too didn't make the journey to Bethlehem. And uh, maybe they represent the people who were who were too religious. So when I say religious, I mean who were too sophisticated in their religion to be open to the supernatural. You know, you can create a religion that doesn't have really any room for God. And and maybe they uh, they represent that person as well. So you're right. There's a there's a whole mosaic of humanity in the in the story of Christ. For those who are skeptical of what we're talking about tonight. Don't you think the fact that even amongst the unbelieving crowd, there is a desire this time of year for kindness, for gentleness, for decency, for wholesomeness, for for relationship, for, well, pardon the expression, peace on earth. The fact that that even amongst the unbelieving community, they have a sense of wanting or a willingness to participate in these concepts, notions or ideals this time of year doesn't that just reinforce its transcendence by the fact that even the skeptic desires on some level to partake of this? Yeah, where does goodness come from, you know, in the desire for goodness? Why why do all humans aspire to peace, although we do not know really how to bring it about? Uh, the fact that there is there is there are godlike qualities within us really just echoes the, the promise from the book of Genesis. Where, the, where, where God said, we will make man in our own image. So every man has, and every woman has, a spark of God within them. Uh, some people spend their life trying to snuff that spark out. Uh, but I believe that, that God helps us bring it to life. And I'm of the deep conviction that, that when a person gives their heart to Jesus, he returns the favor and he places his heart inside of that person. And that person becomes a you might say a modern-day Mary in their world, they begin delivering goodness, delivering hope, even delivering Jesus into the world. Mm -hmm. What happens to a society when they don't believe that anything is going to happen after this life, and they promote that all of the purpose of existence is caught up in what you buy or what you own or where you work? Those 
consequences of secularism are beginning to uh, just just contaminate our, our, our culture. I would be the first to say, as one who's been in the church all of his life, churches have messed up. We haven't always done it right at all. But i got to say, man, what, what, a lot of the struggles that we're seeing right now in our young people and in marriages and in uh, uh, regards to addictions, they come not from, not from faith. They come from a worldview that says there is no God, there is no meaning, and there is no future. So let's be careful. We go around taking all of these uh, vehicles that bring faith into our schools and faith into our world. We begin extracting them. We'll pay a price for it. I've had several people over the years say to me, well, I don't go to church because I had a bad experience. I was abused there, or I, I witnessed a great hypocrisy there. I was taken advantage of, and I understand that. And I'll ask them, you ever had a bad romantic relationship where the person you married is the only person you ever fell in love with, ever had romantic feelings for, nobody ever broke your heart? Well, no, I mean, I've had my heart broken. I said, well, then by your own standard, why do you need to take a vow of celibacy and say, I just, I can't try this. I can't try the opposite sex ever again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, give give the church, there's other, there's other fish in the sea, so to speak. Exactly. Give the church another try. Max, it's been an honor having you with us here tonight. Thanks for being with us. And I wish you good luck with the book, brother. Let's face it. You ain't going to need it. I think we all know that. <laughs> because of Bethlehem, love is born, hope is here. Max Lucado, it's been an honor, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Steve. Merry Christmas to you. Same to you. God bless. Bye. You're listening to Steve Dace. Putting the fun back in Fundamentalist, The Steve Day Show. All right, we've come to the end of tonight's show. So this is always when we pause, reflect, take stock. What did we learn here tonight? Todd, what did you learn here this evening? Well, I want to go back to discussing uh, the Secretary of State. You know, Donald Trump... I, I made the allusion to him being this being like when he got that first uh, million dollars and he decided, now I'm not just going to be like my dad and have a nice little business here in the Bronx. I'm going whole hog. I'm going all of Manhattan. It seems like there might be a little Alexander the Great in Donald Trump. And the world his father uh, conquered before him wasn't big enough. And he may go large. This, this Putin fetish... Is is more than I think. Just fetish a, is a good word. Is more than just well. It, it it's that's what we've been thinking about him, but it might be it might be more than that. He he might just be the poster child for the four hundred pound gorilla on the world stage that Trump wants to send a message to that says, "No, there's a new sheriff in town." I have no idea what that's going to look like. But this is the first time uh, that we've kind of gone back to the fact that, you know what, as, as much as this uh, cabinet has looked like uh, something Bush might do, this, this one is more Donald Trump question mark. We have no idea what to expect. Yeah, I, I learned that because of that exact last few words that you said, Todd, we have no idea what to expect. Again, I was, I was reminded that it's, uh, it behooves all of us, I think, to not just lose our minds over everything. Of course, I, 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 um, I look at rumors 
and I uh, read up on them as much as as possible, and I come to my own conclusions about uh, every move that's being made. But at the same time, it's um, it, again just a reminder not to lose our minds ever over every little thing. The world is a lot bigger than whoever Donald Trump appoints to Secretary of State. Not to say it's not important because it freaking is, but uh, just to keep things in perspective. Um, whenever we hear news like this, of course, it, it is disconcerting. But again, perspective needs to be had. I think that is uh, very sound advice, Aaron, especially since I'm the one that originally gave it out. Yeah. But um, just because something looks different doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's just it can just be different. So because you don't have a, a con- you have a politician, but not a conventional one, not a traditional one, not someone that is immersed in the traditional modes of uh, methodology, campaigning, messaging, etc. And is going to be far more seat of the pants, far more gunslinger uh, than what we are accustomed to. And so I think, again, it is wise not to overreact to everything, but to wait until actual decisions are made. That's why we waited until the decisions of these cabinet appointments were made before we made very much of them here on this show. Back at it again tomorrow, John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.